You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 131. In this episode of the podcast, I am happy to welcome back Greg Hurwitz. He is the New York Times number one internationally best-selling author of 22 thrillers, including the Orphan X series of books. The latest Orphan X thriller, Prodigal Son, will be available on January 26th. I got a chance to read an advanced copy and thoroughly enjoyed it. It uh, was a lot of fun getting deeper into Evan Smoke's childhood backstory and how he ended up in the orphan program. So go check that out on Amazon or wherever you'd like to get your books. I asked Greg uh, about that writing process, the latest Hollywood news about uh, bringing Evan Smoke to the big screen, how he's been dealing with a pandemic, and a lot more. So stay tuned for that interview coming right up. First, though, please go visit thrillingreads.com forward slash go, where you'll be able to rate and review this uh, podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this uh, podcast. I appreciate your help in feeding the Apple and Google algorithms that makes this uh, podcast discoverable over on their platform for others. You can also sign up for my newsletter there to stay connected and to receive special discounts and great deals on thriller, mystery, and crime fiction ebooks. So check that out at thrillingweeds.com slash go. All right, here is my interview with Greg Hurwitz. Hey, everybody, this is Alan with Meet the Thriller Author. And on the podcast today, I have uh, Greg Hurwitz, who is the New York Times number one internationally best-selling author of more than 20 thrillers, including the Orphan X series, one of my favorite book series out there. Uh, the sixth book in that series, Prodigal Son, it will be released on January 26th. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Greg. Thank you for having me on. Oh, yeah. Thank you for being on here. Uh, excited to talk to you. So the Nowhere Man, Evan Smoke, he's back, uh, meets a, a mystery woman claiming to be his mother uh, who gave him up as a newborn. Uh, really excited with that storyline. Um, is that something you've been wanting to explore for a while? You know, it is. I always felt it's funny when I pitched the series to first sell it. Uh, I wrote the first book, Orphan Acts on Spec, which I hadn't done in like a decade. So I wrote it on my own because I wanted, I wound up staying with my same editor, but I wanted to make sure that I really knew what the character was on my own. And one of the first things I said when I was talking about the life of the series is I said, someday there will be a book that the phone's going to ring, that one 855 nowhere encrypted phone line that people call in desperate need with nowhere else to turn that he picks up to help them. And on the other end, a woman's going to say, Evan, it's your mother. And we're not going to know if it's really his mother. He was given up, you know, as a newborn, put into a foster home. And then he was taken out of the foster home at the age of 12 and trained on the, trained off the books in a black program to be a U.S. assassin. And so he never knew his mom. He never knew any of that. And so I always knew this was going to be a key story. Uh, and finally, six books in, I got to it. Cool. I was wondering about that. I was wondering if that's always kind of been as you were writing this, you've been kind of chomping to get to this uh, to this part. So that's kind of that's cool to hear that. Uh, so what is? Can you tell us about the uh, about the storyline and and in Prodigal Son? What's uh, what, what's the story about? Well, so Evan, as as uh, some of your listeners will know, is you know he was trained to be an assassin. He was trained by Jack Johns. Uh, under we has the Ten Commandments, the Ten Assassins Commandments that he lives his life by, and at a certain point. Um, his moral compass, which he was trained to keep intact, um, ran into uh, a collision with the things that the government was asking him to do. 
So before I open the whole series, he has left the program, which you're not allowed to do. He's too valuable an asset and knows he doesn't just know where all the bodies are buried. He buried most of them himself, right? So the government is in pursuit after him and he's on kind of off the radar and he lives among ordinary people. Um, he lives off the, uh, the Wilshire corridor in a penthouse living among ordinary people. So he vacillates between these very extreme kind of crazy thriller uh, missions to his cover identity as a normal guy fitting in and having to attend HOA meetings. And I wanted to see him in the real world where you and I live. But this time when the phone rings, the, the, it's not somebody in desperate need asking for his help. As we said, it's this woman who claims to be his mother. And as he goes to explore and see what happens, she sets him on a course that goes all the way back to his past. He has to go back through and burrow through all these sort of painful memories uh, of his upbringing. And it takes him all the way back to memories of the foster home um, and through his childhood, through all this early stuff. And we can't tell initially, is it a ruse? Are they doing this to draw him out? Is the story legitimate? And so on the one hand, while it's the most personal Orphan X mission, because it takes him back to to these earliest memories, these early vulnerabilities, these parts of himself he left behind with some survivor's guilt, and he still views them as being dirty. On the other hand, the mission itself is escalating to sort of the highest levels of power. And so he's stuck in an intrigue that's pulling him in both directions at the same time with greater and greater threat, uh, coming at the hands of greater and greater power. And at the same time, this personal internal threat that's, that's needling in at all of his Achilles uh, heels and vulnerabilities. Yeah. That's been, that's been so great about this series too, is just uh, from the first book on is seeing him, uh, if you don't see a lot in the, well, I shouldn't, but like it's more unusual for the, the, the in the thriller, the, the you know, action-packed thrillers is his growth, his personal growth, emotional, personal. I uh, really like what's uh, what's been going on with Mia Hall throughout the series. Is that something that, how do you tackle that now? You have a black ops assassin and vigilante and then, you know, showing his softer side. <laughs> how does that uh, Well, the whole out? series was, you know, there's a key line for me around which the entire series coalesces. And that's when Jack Johns, who's his handler and a father figure to him. He's, he's the one who takes him out of the foster home. And when he's 12 years old, he tells Evan, you know, the hard part isn't going to be making you a killer. The hard part is keeping you human. And for me, that's what the whole series is about, is Evan has succeeded in being trained as a top operator, assassin, all the strategy, all the tactics. But what he's really trying to learn is how to be the best human that he can be. And that's something to do that he has to learn. I call it the strange language of intimacy. I mean, he was trained completely separate from everybody else. And as he keeps interfacing with the real world, um, he has to he has to learn and grow in ways. And one of the things that he learns is that a lot of the disciplines that he applied to the assassin arts, let's call them, are similar disciplines that can be used psychologically and emotionally. So the series has always been about him and his growth. You, you know, for your research, you've like swam with sharks and you went shooting with Navy SEALs. And this book features... Um, Cutting edge medical, medical military technology. Um, how was the research for this? And did you find stuff out there that kind of freaked you out? <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> Terrifying stuff. It's one of the problems with researching thrillers is it makes you fairly paranoid. I always try and catch the lip of something that will be known to the public in like four or five years. And so I don't want to have any spoiler uh, alerts in this, but there's some military technology in this that I talk to people who you know, worked on this in labs at MIT. I talked to people who have experience with what's going on in, in DARPA labs, 
to really get to the cutting edge of what the next some of this next level military technology is that Evan's going to find himself up against. Speaking of the long term story arc over six books, how so how do you, how do you even keep track of that? Is that do you have like a big series bible that, <laughs> that you go to when you start writing these? It's kind of all in my head, actually. Oh wow! Yeah, I have. I have a general sense of plots. I tend to know the book that I'm writing, then the next one, and I have a notion of the one after that. Um, and, you know, when I wrote Orphan X, I knew a lot of these scenes that are in this book here in the foster home. I just didn't put them in. I wrote, I wrote a lot of drafts of them. So I really, before I wrote Orphan X, I filled in a lot of um, some, some parameters of his backstory, I would say. And so as the new books move forward, I tend to have a sense at least of what the architecture is of some of the stuff on his past and how it can stitch together with the present. And then I have ideas about where I'm going to take them. You know, I always knew book four. Book four is called Out of the Dark, and it's my homage to The Day of the Jackal, one of my favorite thrillers. Mm. And, you know, that's where Evan goes up against the highly corrupt president of the United States, uh, who is responsible for, for, you know, having many of the orphans killed. Um, And... You know, the, the the aim was to say, how do I put my protagonist up against the president of the United States and have most people root for him? And it took me four books to get there. Um, so I tend to have some bigger plots and places that I want to push push him. Yeah, yeah, Jack. That's one of my favorite books too. I, I saw the movie first when I was a teenager, and then uh, uh, read the book later as an adult, and I was like, wow, the book's an amazing book. <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, it's written so dryly. You know, it's like, hey, the, all this shit's just happening, man. I'm just telling you about it. Like, there, it's yeah. so devoid of of kind of emotion or any any mawkishness. So, were you were you a fan of the genre uh, before you became a, a, a writer? Do you reading these books? Oh yeah, I grew up. Uh, I wasn't allowed to watch television growing up, and so I read, you know, Hardy Boys, Alfred Hitchcock, and Three Investigators. And by fifth grade, I was on the Stephen King. I was obsessed with Stephen King. Um, I liked horror a lot earlier. I read Jaws. I loved all the Peter Benchley books. Um, and yeah, I always just loved it. And then I studied, I was very taken with literature. I studied literature. I was one of my majors undergrad. And But I always loved, you know, like um, Faulkner or like I was drawn to The Great Gatsby, which, you know, centers around in a lot of regards builds to a murder, right? A lot of the, a lot of the books and Faulkner, you know, I collect the Faulkner paperbacks from the 50s. And they look like dime store thrillers. It's like, you know, from America's leading purveyor of lust, intrigue, and murder comes sanctuary, right? And so even when I was studying literature, I was always drawn to, you know, crime and punishment. I was I was drawn to the stories that dealt with, with, with crime and the ramifications and looking at, at the world around us through a lens that is, uh, that has to do with, um, I don't know, mystery elements, thriller elements, elements of intrigue. Yeah, I think that's what makes those books so much fun. Even like, like you said, Jaws. I mean, it's kind of it's, it's kind of like a thriller. There, you know, Jaws is like the, yeah. uh, the the assassin out there hunting them down, and they're trying to get him before they get get to them. So that was lots of fun. I was also surprised that you've uh, you've written a couple of thrill of uh, thrillers for teens. Um, how does that experience compare to writing for adults? And what what goes on in a teen thriller? <laughs> Well, it was so fun. I wrote, I wrote two books. One's called The Rains and the second one is called Last Chance. And I wanted to write these like great old fashioned stories, like the ones that I read growing up, like, you know, Kidnapped and Treasure Island, these sort of. And so in a weird way, they're, they're sort of like, I think of them as, as um, 
the walking dead for teens. Mm. I mean, they have, um, you know, the, the language and sex is tamped down, but the gruesomeness and violence is certainly present. And, and there are these thrillers, you know, at the center of them is a, uh, um, you know, 16 year old kid, uh, or 15 year old kid. And, um, it was really fun. The things I really focused on the most there was the pacing. I just wanted it to have like a, to rip people through the story and they were a blast, you know, and I was very, I was quite honored that the, the first one won th- uh, young adult thriller of the year. Um, and you know, they were both scholastic picks. They were in a lot of schools. And so they took on a bit of a life of their own, um, which was really thrilling for me to have kids and hear from kids in schools and hear from adults. A lot of adults like young adult fiction. And I certainly wrote it with the pacing and and the mechanism uh, that it could feel like you could read it at any level. They were, they were, but they were a blast. I had a great time. Yeah. You mentioned the uh, teen. Uh, I really enjoyed the joy character uh, in, uh, in your books now. Um, is that something that, Kind of, you came from from your teen thrillers that you had the idea of putting a character like that into the uh, for next series. No, Joey came all on her own, man. Joey came. I was writing Hellbent, and so Joey is a washout from the orphan program. She's a world class hacker. Her name is Josephine Morales, and she's like this very unlikely foil to Evan. Right? Evan is like locked on, and you know, every, he's got OCD. Everything is neat. Everything's precise. Everything's operational. And she's this teenage girl with big emotions, you know, big feelings. She's an absolutely brilliant hacker. I mean, her hacking skills can put him to shame and she can undercut him. And in Hellbent, which is the third Orphan X book, he gets stuck with her when all he wants to do is pursue this mission. And he gets kind of saddled with this then 15-year-old, 16-year-old hacker who he has to kind of keep in his care and save and protect. Um, And I was supposed to kill her at the end of that book. Um, and if you've read Hellbent, you know, right the scene where it was supposed to happen. And I got there and I just couldn't do it. I got so attached to her. Uh, I love so much who she is, the energy she brings to the books. I love what she brings out and elicits in Evan. And I just couldn't do it. And it's it's the best decision I've ever made because she's an ongoing part of the series. I just released a short story featuring her called The List um, that came out earlier this year or earlier last year, I guess. Um, and so she's just been a very vibrant part of the Orphan X universe. What's your writing process like? Do you do you outline these? I mean, obviously, the, the it, things change, so you must not do too much of an outline. You know, I have what I kind of call a rolling outline. It's living and breathing the whole time I'm writing the book. So I never lock it in all the way, but I have this big document that's amorphous. And as I write and discover new things, I change things in the outline. I pull things from the outline over. It's always growing. And I think of the outline as like a big mass of, you know, it's called 30 pages of bullet points roughly shaped into categories. And it's like this big mess of clay. And as I go forward, I keep kind of shaping it as I learn what the story is. And I go back and forth. I toggle between the two documents. And when I'm done on one screen, I have a, you know, 400 page novel. And on the other screen, the outline is down to zero because it's been absorbed into the manuscript. Kind of curious now too, with everything that's been going on the past year with the pandemic, has that affected your writing process at all? Or I mean, it's affected obviously, you know, much of my life. I mean, I'm in LA and we're in the hotspot of the world here. Um, which has been which has been trying, but in a way, it's the pandemic that's that's made for novelists. You know, I got plenty of bourbon. I have my laptop, <laughs> and you know, aside from my social life, not much has changed from my working life. It's sh- it slowed down some production and other things on the film and TV side. 
Hmm. But, um, you know, no, the, the novel writing has progressed. I've been pretty fortunate. Yeah, I was just a uh, sign that you're also involved pretty big on the on, with the movies and television. Uh, how is that uh, your approach to writing a screenplay or a teleplay compared to like a writing a novel? Is it like a whole different beast or is it like the same bare bones? <laughs> it's a different muscle, but it definitely helps if you're in writing shape, you know, because a script is, is, it's not a final product the way a novel is, right? It's an invitation to collaborate. It's a recipe. And so what you're doing is you're putting something forth in a way that's open that you hope you bring in a director and other talent who will take it and, and make it better. So it's a bit of a different muscle, but of course it always helps if you're, if you're on, if you're writing, if your writing discipline is there and present, but there's different rules of engagement. You know, it's a bit like, it's a different muscle. It's a bit of a, it's a different sport in some ways. And any updates on I know Orphan X has been optioned forever. And is, is it uh, any, any updates on that front? Well, I'm shaping it now uh, for TV series for streaming and I'm actually working on that right now. So we'll see how that goes. Stay, stay tuned. You can oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. Excited. <laughs> What's a writing day uh, look like for you then when you, when you're writing a book, uh, do you like have word cut goals that you're trying to meet or how does it, how does a work writing day look for you? For me, it's a lot about time in a place. It's just about being in my office for a set amount of time. And so I don't have a word count because sometimes I'll be writing and I'll realize there's a problem and I have to write backwards, right? And I have to go fix it. So, and some days there'll be a lot of research. So I used to have more of a rigid writing count uh, and more and more now it's about me being in there and tackling and, you know, chewing on the manuscript for X hours a day and carving out that time and trying to push out other distractions. Like if I have, you know, comics or TV or calls or other things, it's about kind of protecting that time. Yeah. So many, so many easy ways to get distracted nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so, uh, so what's uh, next for you and uh, for uh, Evan Smoke? What's, uh, what's in the horizon? Well, for those of you who have read Prodigal Son or who are soon to read it, you can see I end on quite an explosive note. And so, um, you know, I had to, I have to figure out I, I, what's coming next. And it's not, it's not predictable in any way that is predictable upon my ending an Orphan X book because the ending of this, I close out the plot, we get, we get the answers that we want. And then, then I kind of pull it a thread and a whole bunch of things come loose again. And so I immediately have to go into figuring out how I'm going to write my way out of that corner and what comes next. And I have quite a few ideas, but I don't want to share them here because of spoiler warnings. Cool, cool. Man. Looking forward to that. And the uh, best place for uh, the listeners to find you is uh, at your website, uh, gregherwitz.net. Yeah, gregherwitz.net. You can sign up for my newsletter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. So you can find me any which way to get updates You know about about what I'm what I'm working on and what's coming out when. All right, cool. And our, our prodigal son will be out on the 26th. By the time right. you listen to this, um, it'll probably be out th by then. But it's pre-order now anyway. So even if it's not out yet, go get it. <laughs> Excellent. All right, Greg. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really enjoyed talking with you. My pleasure. Nice to talk with you. Thank you for listening to Meet the Thriller Author. For show notes, resource links, and to access the archive of past author interviews, please visit thrillerauthors.com. From that website at thrillerauthors.com, you can also join the Thrilling Reads newsletter to receive amazing deals on best-selling thriller, mystery, and crime fiction ebooks. If you have a moment, please rate and review this uh, podcast wherever it is that you're listening to this right now. 
I truly appreciate your help in helping me get the word out about this podcast. And finally, visit my author website at alanpeterson.com to check out my own thriller books. Until next time, keep reading and stay safe out there.